a remote fantastical kingdom far from Europe's chancelleries of power. An ancient castle where secrets are walled up. An unpopular monarch on the eve of his coronation. A ruling class of plotters and would-be usurpers. And a gentleman adventurer on holiday. No, not Ruritania in the 19th century, but the United Kingdom in the 21st. Stein's new book, The Prisoner of Windsor, is a contemporary inversion of Anthony Hope's classic, The Prisoner of Zender. In the original, an English gentleman on vacation is called upon to stand in for his lookalike, the King of Ruritania, at his coronation. Over a century later, a Ruritanian on vacation in London is called upon to return the favour and stand in for an Englishman in an absurd, fantastical kingdom where Brexit never quite happened. Plots are afoot. The Prisoner of Windsor by Mark Stein. Available in hardback and digital editions or for a personally autographed copy, go to steinonline.com. The Stein Online Clubland Q&A begins right now. November 8th, 2023, what should have been the middle of the second week of my trial at the lousy District of Columbia Superior Court. It is 3 p.m. North American Eastern Time, 4 p.m. in the beautiful Canadian Maritimes, 4.30 p.m. in fabulous Newfoundland and beyond the Americas, 8 p.m. in London and Dublin, 9 p.m. in Paris and Berlin, 10 p.m. in Kiev and Tel Aviv. Do they have a long foul too? Because... That's the zone where they're holding all the wars. 11pm at the Zaliv Shipbuilding Yard, where either a British or a French missile has taken out a brand new Russian warship. The Kremlin is being awfully sporting about not rising to these provocations. 11.30pm in Tehran for all you Newfoundlanders who moved to Iran for the half-hour time zone. 1.45am in Kathmandu for all you Iranians who moved to Nepal to check out the quarter-hour time zone. 4am in Singapore and Honkers. Sorry about that. 7am in Sydney and Melbourne. 9am in Auckland. A rather more convivial hour for the Kippers and Kedgeri. And even deeper into Thursday in His Majesty's Dominions across the Pacific. It is great to be back with you. You know how this thing works. Uh, Anyone, any of the 8 billion people around the planet are free to listen to the show. If you want to ask a question, uh, you have to be a member of the Mark Stein Club. So if you don't want to ask a question, uh, no problem. A century ago today... 
November 8th, 1923, at the Burger Bro Killer, <laughs> not killer, <laughs> there was a killer on the premises, as we subsequently found out, but at the Burger Bro Killer in Munich, a young man barely known outside Germany, one Adolf Hitler, launched his so-called Bear Hall Putsch, a coup against the German government. It failed. Nevertheless, if somewhat premature, Herr Hitler was correct in his broader assessment that there was something weak and yielding and pitiful in the forces he was up against. That is our thought for the day. There is no greater... See, here's another thought for today. There is no greater sin in media than being right too soon, as I have often had cause to reflect. A headline from the Daily Telegraph, quote, Oxford AstraZeneca COVID jab was defective, claims landmark legal case. The Oxford AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine has been branded defective in a multi-million pound landmark legal action that will suggest claims over its efficacy were vastly overstated. Oh my, you don't say. Hey, how would you like that fabulous red wave across America last night? Um, I gather tonight there's a debate of the Republican pygmies. That's uh, all the presidential candidates except Trump, who has uh, 60% of uh, Republican primary voter support, which he never had at all in the run-up to Iowa and New Hampshire in 2016, in 2015. Um, I probably won't watch it because there's never any questions on anything that matter. Uh, The interest on U.S. federal government debt is now over $1 trillion a year. The operating deficit is another trillion dollars. Trillion, 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 trillion. The zombie superpower. We're going to get into all that, uh, but I do first want to thank uh, those of you who, uh, since the uh, judge decided, after I'd landed in his craphole capital, uh, to postpone the trial uh, that was supposed to start the following morning, I'm absolutely, I can't tell you how touched I am by all those of you who have snapped up our limited edition Liberty Stick. Uh, I sign and number everyone uh, individually. It shows them, it shows uh, Magna Carta at one end, the US Constitution down the other end, so you can wave it. You can wave the Constitution at anyone you want. Um, they're going fast, uh, and when they're gone, they're gone. Uh, but if you do want to order one of the few we have left, please go to uh, the Stein store, and we'll be delighted to ship it to you. Uh, okay, on to your questions. Uh, let's see what we uh, have for uh starters oh frank gallenstein possibly gallenstein um uh, <laughs> he goes hi mark 
As a resident of Ohio, I am pretty bummed out about the passing of the amendment to Ohio's constitution that, as worded, will allow a female of any age to abort her child, providing she can find a quack doctor to agree her pregnancy is causing her mental anguish. Um, the only act's a very interesting way of putting it. It's it's clear that not being able to abort your child uh, evidently causes a lot of Democrat women and some Republican women too mental anguish. Uh, the only positive thing I can take from recent events, says Frank, is that opponents of the amendment will now be able to show everything they predicted about its passage unrestricted abortions will turn out to be true. That is, providing some liberal judge doesn't prevent the information from getting out to the public. Can you lift my spirits? I'm not sure I can about that. One of the weird things is that uh, after the uh, effective repeal of Roe versus Wade, abortion was returned to the states. And that meant that, the, you know, 50 states could have 50 different abortion regimes. Instead, certain of them have chosen to enshrine it in the Constitution, which is kind of, you know, pitiful. Uh, you remember the way they used to talk about it in the Clinton day? Oh, we want abortion to be safe, legal and rare. Remember the way John... Uh, Kerry used to talk about it. Well, obviously, as a practicing Catholic, I'm. it's an anguish, terrible, difficult, awful decision to have to take. No, 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 no. Now we're putting it up there in the Constitution because you couldn't have a better uh, symbol of the demographically dying Western world than having the right to kill your baby uh, as a constitutional right. Um, and I don't put it that way lightly, but I actually think uh, that American liberals are evil in this respect. They keep talking. I keep hearing from Bernie Sanders uh, at his uh, luxury $175,000 beachfront mansion in Vermont. Uh, the Bernie Sanders said, no, 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 I don't want to turn America into Venezuela. I want to make America like Denmark. Well, if you look at all these Scandinavian and other European countries that they want to be like, all these countries have abortion in the first trimester, basically. You know, it's a week or two here and there. Uh, but if you want to have second trimester abortion... Um, you have to get find two doctors who are willing to sign off on its medical necessity. What they have now passed in Ohio and what they have now passed in Vermont and other states is basically the right to deliver a baby and then have the baby killed. Because that's how they do it. It's actually very difficult getting in to crush the skull of the baby in the, um, you know, seconds before the head pops out. Uh, so you meant to you meant to kill the baby while a little teensy weensy bit of it, just a half inch or so, is still in the vaginal canal. Um, that's that's the hard reality, and it is. You can say what you like. I used to have this thing from Republican when I used to contrast American abortion law, which is with its abortion absolutism being able to kill babies, uh, healthy nine-month-old fetuses, as they say in America, uh, with the European way. Um, 
the uh, you know Republican friends you say, oh, we're not interested in that. Life begins at conception and all the rest of it. But there is psychologically something different about being willing to kill a nine-month-old baby just before uh, he, the, poor, the wee little fella pops out. I, I've mentioned before that, you know, because I've been... Because of my uh, heart attacks, I've been spending a lot of time uh, on the continent. It's interesting to me when you watch continental dramas, you know, the woman discovers she's uh, pregnant. And so she goes along to the hospital to uh, to abort the baby. And the hospital tells her, oh, no, uh, we'd love to abort your baby. But unfortunately, the fetus is 14 weeks old, so we can't. You'll have to deliver the baby and make the best of it. And she does make the best of it. It's a standard plot in, you know, some of these Scandinavian things, some French things, all all the rest of it. Uh, this, this thing about killing nine-month-old fetuses is part of the stray... I mean, it's very weird to me to see death cultism installed in the constitutions of uh, individual states now. Maybe by the time uh, the Democrats are through with this, because it wasn't a good night for uh, Youngkin in Virginia, and that was also to do with abortion. But... um, well, I'll say one other thing, too. I, when I said this is symbolic of the barrenness of the Western world, uh, where uh, basically, um, you know, we have uh, cul- once cultures that we still think of as healthy and fecund. I wrote this 20 years ago after that film. It's in America alone when that film, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, was still new. And we think of the Greeks and we think of the Italians and we think of the Spaniards as fecund people. In fact, they have some of the most shriveled fertility rates on the planet and the americans have now joined them and uh, but the americans taking it to the next level by enshrining in the constitution their urge to be rid of babies now the so the state has so i'll just put this in you, you know just so we're clear we're not talking about whether you're a practicing christian or or anything of that simply in um in in utilitarian terms the state has no interest legitimate interest in killing its babies because all that means is oh we're gonna have to import uh, more afghans and somalis uh, and palestinians to be the babies we couldn't be asked to have ourselves. So it's pathetic. It's a pathetic way for a civilization to die. But I will say this. This has been, you know, the most salient one, certainly one of, if not the most salient political issue in America for half a century. And the Republicans finally won at the Supreme Court of the United States. And what's interesting to me now is that we, in in the whatever it is, two years since, we're now seeing the political effects of that. Why is that? Because the constitutional fetishists, you know who I'm talking about, the guys waving the constitution at you, the constitutional fetishists uh, relied on legalisms. So they said, all we have to do is support uh, uh, Republican presidents 
uh, and Republican Senate candidates who will then nominate rock-ribbed conservative judges who will overturn the abomination of Roe versus Wade. And at that point, then, we will have uh, through uh, it was it was some hideous legalistic sophistry to which this great republic is regrettably prone. Uh, that wound up imposing Roe versus Wade. So we just need to find some rock-ribbed judges who will undo the legalistic sophistry. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the Democrats have a multi-billion dollar propaganda industry uh, not interested in constitutional legalisms or any of that, just making the big, oh, it's a woman's, oh, it's a woman's right to choose. And why would you want to make a woman who's been raped carry the baby to term and all that? These are just, these are emotional arguments. And what we've seen in the last two years is, okay, you won the constitutional legalism crapola that too many people on the right the Constitution waivers, say is the be-all and end-all of, uh, of life in this great republic. Meanwhile, the Democrats don't give a crap about the constitutional argument, and they just make an emotional, a multi-billion dollar, misleading, duplicitous, but effective emotional argument. I can't believe, given the money, you know, send money now to sendmoneynow.com. That's the only message of the useless bloody Republican Party. What do they do with all the money? It's a difficult thing. You've got candidates who uh, say, oh, I'm a pro-life candidate. Oh, right, so you don't think a woman should... And they go out there, these, uh, these Mickey Mouse guys suddenly accidentally win a Republican primary, and they haven't a clue about how to talk about this in a way that uh, counters the multi-billion dollar propaganda. What do these buggers do when you send money now to sendmoneynow.com? What do they do with all the money? Why is there no multi-billion dollar pushback to train the people who win the Republican nomination to go out and talk about this thing. Uh, sorry to get uh, all steamed up about that, but it is very annoying. But I do think it makes the point this, the constitutional legalisms isn't enough. Not, uh, pardon me, I had to take a sip of water. I've, uh, uh, as, as I said, dry mouth is a side effect of one of my side effects, side effects. Eric Dale says, Mark and fellow club members, another red wave <laughs> failed to manifest last night. Yeah, it's like the, the tsunami that just uh, stays offshore and never makes landfall. As Emerald Robinson reports that a gas leak shut down a voting precinct, in Louisville. Oh my, you do surprise me. And a Democrat governor has retained his office in allegedly red Kentucky with reports that voting machines... Ooh, you, oh, I can't... I wonder what happened here. Voting machines went down in Pennsylvania and Texas. Meanwhile, have you caught the latest trend of Generation Zers? Generation Zers? Whichever it is. <laughs> 
I, I don't know. It doesn't sound right either way. Um, Generation Zers posting videos on social media on how they're not fit for military service and they won't comply with the draft. It's like there is a deep sense of foreboding that we're inevitably heading towards a reckoning on a civilizational scale. Given that our political system limits our choice to Lindsey Graham's and Joe Biden's, is there any way to steer away from the crash? Lindsey Graham is nuts. I don't I've never really liked him since he bumped into my daughter at the uh, Haverhill County Fair in New Hampshire and uh, a few years back and when he was running for president and offered to make her one of his rotating first ladies. <laughs> I should if I'd known about it at the time I'd have punched his lights out right there and then. Anyway, uh, Lindsey Graham is now in favour of making Iran his rota- one of his rotating first ladies. He wants the United States to take out Iran. Um, you know, the, the idea that the United States military, under its present officer class, is in any way capable of taking out Iran is ludicrous and laughable. And I don't blame these... You know, I think there's nothing sadder. You see them at places like the county fair. Veterans who lost limbs in Afghanistan and Iraq. Uh, We were 20 years in Afghanistan, and it was pretty clear about a year in that the United States military had no coherent strategy and no will. Will, will, will. Civilizational will is the... Uh, is the difference between us and them. Whatever you think about these guys, they mean it and we don't. And that goes back to that, what Hitler learned from that failed beer hall putsch. He, he didn't think the fellows who ran the Weimar Republic meant it, and he did. And eventually that becomes the dispositive fact. Now, when you talk about steering away from the crash, you know, I me- again, I mentioned that a trillion dollars a year in debt interest. No one, no one in the history of the human race has ever paid a trillion dollars a year in debt service. It's absolutely incredible. You know, because in some countries, a trillion dollars would be a lot of money. Um, and I think the I think when you you couldn't get the attention of Joe Biden and Lindsey Graham in talking about it. if you brought it up if you ran into them at a cocktail party and you brought it up there wouldn't you could see in the, as I've said before you, when you do bring it up with these Washington guys you talk about repaying the government debt as say New Zealand did with crown debt. Uh, a few years ago, and as uh, the Canadian Liberal Party did with their crown debt in the 1990s. You can't, you know, people think, people think uh, as, as Nancy Pelosi famously said after being asked where in the Constitution it said that they were allowed to do Obamacare, 
and she used the John McEnroe like, you cannot be serious. Are you serious? Whatever she said. That's how they, if you say to Lindsey Graham, have you got a plan to pay down the debt? He thinks, are you serious? If you said that to Joe Biden when he's still at his marbles, he'd say, are you serious? Because basically it's the uniparty, it's the uniparty's shared agenda. Uh, that agenda depends on this continuous ramping up on the of the federal debt, which is why, as in Eric's words, steering away from the crash is not possible. So we need a better choice than Lindsey Graham and Joe Biden, because that's no choice at all. Israel Pickholtz writes, Is it not obvious to everyone that the 2024 elections will be about ballots, not votes? Like 2020. Only this time it will be more thorough and will affect Congress and state races as well. The candidates, the polls, the rallies, none of it matters. Surely no one thinks that Ronna McDaniel will pull a rabbit out of her hat to get this fixed. I think that's true. Uh, and I think you're correct, too, that they didn't in 2020 have the chance because uh, they had to rustle up so many extra votes in a short space of time, which is why you have all these weird ballot papers where a guy, a, a supposed Democrat, has voted for Biden over Trump and then mysteriously left the rest of his ballot blank. That's because uh, when you're trying to rustle up a, a certain number of extra votes for Biden to get you across the finish line, uh, in a in a few hours, you don't have time uh, to mark all the boxes for uh, congressman and uh, state representative and dog catcher. You just haven't got any time. Um, but I think, you know, that was a pretty good trial run and they will be able, uh, as uh, Israel says, to extend it uh, to the down ballot races too. Uh, but, but, but... Um, if you the, the the polls that have been reported by the New York Times and CNN this week have uh, rattled Democrats and encouraged Republicans because the Trump lead in these swing states is moving outside the margin of steel. If you look at the poll, the CNN poll today uh, that shows. Uh, Trump on, I think, on 41 and Biden on 35 and RFK Jr. on 16. That's actually a lot of votes. Uh, to That's getting beyond the margin of steel. Uh, as I always say, you know, people talk about widespread. Oh, there was no widespread fraud. There was no widespread fraud. No, because the American system enables narrow spread fraud. You only have to uh, find six Democrat cities in six swing states and you can steal the votes you need to get you over the finish line. Now, these, the most recent Trump-Biden polls are making it look as if Trump is moving outside the margin of steel, in which case Democrats would have to be exceptionally brazen to steal an election on that scale. So the question becomes, oh, are they going to be exceptionally brazen? <laughs> well, you know, after the last few, they opened the borders... 
you you have to comply with all the COVID crap. You have to get the tests. You have to get the vax. People coming across the border, that's fine. Whoop-de-doo. They take them. They disperse them into the heart of the country. Uh, and they get, you know, so brazen is how the Democrats roll. And there's no reason to believe that in November next year, they're not going to be brazen too. Uh, Eric Dale says, Mark and fellow club members, another red wave. Oh, no, I've read this one, haven't I? Uh, Sorry, Eric, I was going to give you an entirely different answer, possibly contradicting what I said a couple of minutes ago. Ali M says, regarding yesterday's disappointing and puzzling election results, I blame it on two irrefutable and seemingly unchanging aspects of voting dynamics. One is that the Democrat machine still has a firm grip on every aspect of the electoral process and is throttling the hell out of it, even in red states. That includes gerrymandering of congressional districts, which which has been given the green light by the courts, including the Supreme Court. And secondly, Election Day abnormalities and malfunctions continue to persist despite credible evidence evidence of intentional fraud, tampering, etc. However, to mention this is now considered a heresy that will trigger a constitutional crisis so it's impossible to do anything about it, which is the desired outcome. Can America ever have free and fair elections again? Uh, No. Next question. Uh, I'll, I'll say one thing about that. You are right to draw attention to the role of the courts. That's not necessarily because John Roberts believes in fake and fraudulent and fixed elections, but because he doesn't want uh, himself and his fellow judges bearing the brunt of the response that would follow were you to have courts striking down elections. This is where, again, the Constitution waving availeth you naught um, because it doesn't uh, versus the emotional narrative on the Democrat side, the count every vote, count every vote thing. I will say this, though, just going back to pre 2020, you will recall um, midterm and uh, special elections and all the rest. Do you remember the guy, wherever it was, the he was the fellow who put the Ten Commandments, uh, I've forgotten his name now, uh, outside his courthouse, and then they ran a whole bunch of stories about how he liked to go to uh, the uh, soda fountain with uh, 12-year-old girls and whatever it was. I can't remember all the details now. But what was interesting about then, and I think I said it on Rush, is that the Trump model, Trump mo- the Trump model showed you can apply it to Trump, uh, but nobody else. In other words, Trump could be a Trumpist candidate, but uh, Fred Smith uh, would have great difficulty in trying to be a Trump candidate because whatever one feels about Trump, it's the particular combination of the Trumpism plus the Trumpy personality that enables him to steal roller, steamroller uh, over all his opponents, uh, which is, you know, as we're seeing, he doesn't turn up to the debates, his numbers go higher. He's indicted every week. Uh, and he uh, and he ignores all the orders the judges say. Good for you. I'm with you there. Um, and uh, and his numbers go higher and higher. The difficulty is finding anyone other than Donald Trump who can be Trumpy 
uh, in the elections. As you see, it hasn't exactly worked out for, for Ron DeSantis uh, 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 or, or even, you know, or anyone else uh, among the other candidates. Uh, uh, we're going to take more of your questions on our Clubland Q&A, but let us pause uh, for a brief musical interlude. As I mentioned at the top of the show, today is the anniversary of Adolf Hitler and the National Socialist German Workers' Party, uh, their attempted coup against the Weimar Republic. So I thought we would have a Hitler song. How about that? That's nice and jolly, isn't it? A Hitler song. If you've watched British telly any time in the last 55 years, you'll know this one. Uh, Jimmy Perry and David Croft... Uh, who were good friends of my sisters, as it happens. Perry and Croft came up with a sitcom based on Jimmy Perry's teenage experiences during the war in the Home Guard. This was a unit of men too old or young or infirm to be sent to the front lines, so instead they were kept in Blighty to prevent Hitler invading dear old England. Uh, Perry and Croft thought that for the theme song they needed a sound of the period, and Jimmy Perry was a huge fan of the great British wartime double act Flanagan and Allen, as in Underneath the Arches and uh, Run Rabbit Run and We're Gonna Hang Out the Washing on the Siegfried Line of You Any Dirty Washing Mother Dear. Uh, Ches Allen had retired by 1968, but Fl Bud Flanagan was game and for a very affordable fee, 100 guineas. Uh, they got to him just in time, three months after this song was introduced to the world. Bud was dead. Who do you think you are kidding, Mr. Hitler, if you think we're on the run? We are the boys who will stop your little game. We are the boys who will make you think again Cause who do you think you are kidding Mr. Hitler If you think old England's done Mr. Brown goes off to town on the A21 But he comes home each evening and he's ready with his gun So watch out Mr. Hitler you have met your match in us if you think you can crush us, we're afraid you've missed the bus. Cause who do you think you are kidding, Mr. Hitler? If you think we're on the run. We are the boys who will stop your little game. We are the boys who will make you think again. Cause who do you think you are kidding, Mr. Hitler, if you think old England's done? Oh, Bud Flanagan in fine form, accompanied by the band of the Coldstream Guards. Music and lyrics by Derek Taverner and Jimmy Perry, co-creator of Dad's Army, and disfigured for me only slightly by the impure rhyme of stop your little game and make you think again. Bud Flanagan's last hit 
As I said, he died shortly after the broadcast of the first episode of Dad's Army and his old partner, Chesney Allen, who had retired on health grounds in the late 50s, outlived Bud by 14 years to die in 1982. Who do you think? You are kidding, Mr. Hitler, if you think old England's done? Dad's army was set in the fictional town of Warmington-on-Sea on the southern coast of England, where today, every night, up to a thousand young Muslim men arrive with impunity and are put up for free in English country house hotels. So the home guard of aged and infirm men 80 years ago proved a more effective deterrent than the Nancy boys of the so-called UK border force. Who do you think you are kidding, Rishi Sunak? Old England's done. That Hitler song was written 23 years after the war. This one is uh, contemporaneous, by far the favourite Hitler song of the soldiers of the king throughout the British Empire. All together now. I think you need to pronounce that in a slightly less Teutonic way to make it kind of sort of rhyme. Goebbels has no balls at all. A lack of testicular fortitude across the Third Reich. You couldn't sing it now? Because who are you to assume that Hitler has external genitalia? He could be one of the other kind who are so prevalent nowadays. That magnificent tune is by Kenneth Alford, uh, which is a pseudonym for Lieutenant F.J. Ricketts, a bandmaster for the Royal Marines at Plymouth. Lieutenant Ricketts wrote it in 1914, and it became a huge hit far beyond the Commonwealth after it was featured in the film Bridge Over the River Kwai. Wet your whistle and let's go.
Colonel Bogey by Kenneth Alford. All over the Commonwealth and Europe and America, military bands play it, but that recording uh, wasn't one of them. The Boston Pops Orchestra, conducted by John Williams, and I always enjoy Mr. Williams' arrangement because of all the contrapuntal stuff he does in the repeat choruses, especially uh, the trombones in uh, whatever it was, the second chorus there. Stirring stuff for whistlers everywhere. Mark Stein's Clubland Q&A live around the planet. It is 21 to 9. British summertime, a little behind, a lot ahead, according to where you chance to be on this turbulent earth. Let us get back to your questions. We had a lot of questions about uh, the (laughs) non-red wave or the red non-wave. Last night, Dale Owens says, uh, Mark, on uh, Dale is uh, somewhere near Milan, uh, where uh, uh, I uh, was uh, a few w- weeks back for some uh, medical reason. Uh, Dale says, Mark, on Sunday, London will be invaded by thousands of agitated Mohammedans and their fellow travellers. But who, according to The Guardian, The Independent and The Daily Mirror, is the troublemaker we should be worried about? Yes, Tommy Robinson. What do you think, says Dale? Uh, Yeah, uh, Elon Musk has given uh, Katie Hopkins. uh, Katie was on our show couple of months back uh given uh, elon musk has given katie uh, uh katie hopkins and tommy robinson their twitter accounts back and as uh, dale was mentioned this has sent the uh british papers who have absolutely no feeling for free speech anymore uh it has sent them into total apoplexy and so the problem is not the uh, Mohammedans calling for death to the Jews on the streets, but the guy who's standing all alone over on the sidewalk, on the pavement, as they say in Britain, and saying, oh, uh, I don't think those guys should be calling for all these other people to be killed. And yes, that's how they think. I had this 15 years ago. When I got into my difficulties with the Canadian uh, human rights apparatus in my own country, that the problem, and actually was literally true, because uh, I had quoted something truthful, a truthful statement of a big shot Norwegian imam, and uh, and the problem as the Canadian establishment saw it was not what the big shot imam said, but that I had pointed out that he'd said it. And this this was a novelty for me at the time in my experience. Uh, but I came to see that actually it's now standard operating procedure uh, everywhere else. Uh, so that hit Wilders is the problem in the Netherlands, not uh, the guys who want to kill Hit Wilders. Hit Wilders is the problem for pointing out that the Muslim guys want to kill him. He's the one li- uh, living in hiding, uh, but he's still the problem. It's and it's and, and so it has gone 
in uh, every Western nation, up to and including Tommy Robinson, who who is the problem. And um, I used to, I got into trouble, I think, in Canada a few years back. So people were trying to get the human rights commissions to have a go at me, but they wanted nothing to do with me after the hiding they got from me. Uh, a few years ago, but someone tried to get it all going again because I'd said that they were after the Charlie Hebdo thing, that uh, Muslims have no general predisposition towards free speech. They they don't have any feeling for it. They think there's things you're allowed to say and there's things you're not allowed to say. So you can go, oh, yes, I'm in favor of uh, free speech. And then you uh, point to the latest edition of Charlie Hebdo on the newsstand and say, no, 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 they shouldn't be allowed to say that. And if you someone happens to kill them over it, well, that just shows they shouldn't be allowed to say it. And what's interesting to me since I said that is that uh Western establishments and governments have assimilated with I was talking about Muslims living in the Western world had no freedom uh, no feeling for freedom of speech. And all that's happened since then is that the British police and American universities and all kinds of other institutions have now joined them in their lack of feeling for free speech, which is very disturbing. Again, it gets to the bollocks of the Constitution waivers, uh, which is in some ways as um, as irrational and emotional an argument as the abortion types make uh, about a woman's right to choose. Because the whole, you know, const- oh, the magic Constitution... So that simply by taking a flight uh, to JFK or LAX or actually even just by uh, walking across the Rio Grande, if you can't afford uh, an airplane ticket, the magic soil of the United States will succeed in warming you up to all these constitutional ideas that arose from a very a select and particular group of people. It's rubbish, complete rubbish. If you import millions of barbarians into your country, don't be surprised that week by week you look more and more like a barbarian country. Uh, so like this poor Jew in California who, who died, as they put it, all very passively. He 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 fell he fell backwards mysteriously, and his head cracked open, and he died. All very passive, if you read the worthless American media. No 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 no, he was killed because eventually you become a savage, and if you import barbarians. And if you then embrace, because the barbarians are so cool, you embrace barbarian values at the most elite 
institutions in your society, such as Harvard, don't be surprised that you then become a barbarian country. Chris Davis says, Mark, I hope this finds you well. It has been a mixed week for free speech in the UK with the readmission to X. Uh, that's a new name for Twitter. The readmission to X of Tommy Robinson and Katie Hopkins offset by a majority of the citizenry calling for the pro-Palestinian jihadists to be banned from marching on remembrance weekend. Yeah, they're going to do this on Armistice Day, this big march, and people are saying they shouldn't be allowed to march. Uh, and I'm inclined, uh, I think Chris's point is that if you're a free speecher, it's for speech you don't like. And if millions of your fellow citizens uh, are in fact um, inclined as the quote-unquote pro-Palestinian marchers are, uh, I'm not sure that's a the, the, what what's likely to happen here is, uh, you know, the 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 basically Western nations are now in the position I used of of the Arab rulers that I used to write about uh, twenty years ago in the wake of nine eleven when George W. Bush was hot for exporting democracy to all these countries. And uh, in return, President Mubarak and King Abdullah and the other leaders of the Arab world used to say, whoa, you might want to hold off there, W, because you might not like it if we had free and fair elections. You might not like the kind of people who get elected in this part of the world. And that was perfectly true. And, um, you know, dictatorship is ugly. But the fact is that when they made that point, uh, President Mubarak and King Abdullah and all the rest were absolutely right. The only difference is that in the 20 years since, that's now increasingly becoming clear uh, that it's the same situation for Western leaders. Rishi Sunak is, is pro-Israel. Uh, Emmanuel Macron is pro-Israel. Uh, Justin Trudeau is pro-Israel. Chuck Schumer is pro-Israel, but increasingly uh, the citizenry to whom they ultimately have to answer is not. And so that's, that's, the gen that's the genius thing. But as I said, if you import barbarians, particularly on the scale the United Kingdom has done, you, the answer to that problem is not to repeal core liberties like the freedom to protest or freedom of speech. Uh, or any of that. The answer is to stop importing the bloody barbarians, you morons. You know, I, I saw uh, Douglas Murray saying this uh, somewhere. He doesn't want to share a country with the, these people. I think I said it myself a few weeks ago. I don't want to share a, a country with these people. But the governments of every Western nation keep admitting them. And it's not difficult. We're getting to uh, um, uh, um, Point de Bascoule. I'm, I was, uh, God, I was talking about it with a French demographer, a uh, uh, a few, and uh, I can't remember what it is. A uh, tipping point. <laughs> We're getting to a tipping. I can't. Uh, I spent too much time in France, and I can't remember any English. Um, but we have reached a point de bascule, a point de bascule, a tipping point, a point of no return, and that's what is happening.
Now, uh, Chris Davis continues, Lawrence Fox called this out on X, reminding people that the sole test of whether you believe in free speech is whether you will defend it for those who disagree uh, the most. Uh, The blame game has already started between the government and the useless Met, the Metropolitan Police, the original police force, the pioneers of modern policing, awful people now, Um, both of whom, says Chris, are scared of causing hurty feelings to the Islamists. I'm content to be in the minority with Lawrence on this issue and firmly believe that the only way the public will wake up from their stupor is to face head-on the reality of the impact of mass immigration, not least those of the Muslim faith. No granny and eggs, but even a cursory glance at the Quran and the Hadiths reveal Islam to be an invading force. What's your view, please? Keep well, Chris. My view's the same that it has been since 9-11, when Western governments, you know, this is, they didn't call it virtue signaling then, but it's it's the, the ne plus ultra of virtue signaling is when, uh, is when Muslim guys fly planes through your skyscrapers, you decide that the priority is not to be seen to be mean to Muslims, so you double the rate of Muslim immigration to the West. Uh, Anyone who knows anything about Islam knows that, uh, as a few people used to say back then, using a kindergarten analogy, that uh, Islam does not play well with others. Now, you know, when you look at why would why would for example if it has to why would his britannic majesty's government ban the march on armistice day because as chris says they don't want the great mass of british people confronted with the treachery of their leaders the people who imported all this to the United Kingdom. It doesn't, you, I, uh, and again, it doesn't mean you have to think that Palestinians are mean people or people who march for Palestinians are mean people. It's just that it's not prudent as public policy to look at some of the most intractable problems on the planet and then say, oh, I tell you what, I think we'll import them over here. That is madness. And uh, and the both the government and the people in London and elsewhere deserve to be confronted in plain sight with the results of their madness. Uh, Chris Kimball says the rioting, child mutilating, war on police, narcotics, open borders, crimeomania, Democrats under 35 are the most radical ever, overwhelmingly supporting Hamas terrorists. Decades, uh, Democrats will continue decades of appeasement to radical fundamentalist Islam as required by their DEI cult. Let me just take another sip of water. Sorry, having terrible problems here today. Uh, yeah, I think this is largely, a, I, I think I remarked a month ago after the horrors of October the 7th, that it was a simple, that, you know, people like Chuck Schumer uh, are bewildered by this because liberal Jews 
uh, and actually baby boomer lefties in general, uh, so that baby boomer Democrats can't quite support Israel and can't quite understand why their kids and grandkids are hot for Hamas. It is a generational thing. And you see it, you know, when you look at Chuck Schumer and then you look at Rashida Tlaib, who I think is the only Palestinian uh, member of uh, the U.S. Congress at the moment, and you think, which is the future of their party? Which is the past? That bird brain... I mentioned Bernie Farber, former head of the Canadian Jewish Congress. Awful, awful man, particularly if you're a Jew, because he screwed your future in your country. Uh, Bernie Farber, uh, Kathy Shadel always used to say he must be adopted. He's too stupid to be Jewish. Uh, and he was in my particular difficulties with the um, Canadian Islamic Congress. He was on the side of the Canadian Islamic Congress. That's how big a wanker he is. And he was at some little uh, function, you know, because he's he enjoys the approval of the Canadian state. He, a few years ago, he was given the Queen's Diamond Jubilee Medal and all that kind. He's got it all. And he's a wanker. And he was there uh, schmoozing the fellas who were trying to get me banned from appearing in any Canadian publications. Bernie Farber. You know, he's now running the Canadian Anti-Hate Network, so-called, which gets government funding to expose hate. He hasn't said a word about any of the people calling for, like the big demonstration, uh, where they said you have to find every Zionist and kill them all, every last one. This week hasn't said a word about that. Hasn't said a word because he he says the Canadian Anti Hate Network's priority is the extreme right. His only complaint uh, 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 about what happened on October the 7th, is that it, you know, it risks providing cover for the extreme right to come out as opposing anti-Semitism. You know, that's, it's a generational thing. Bernie Farber and that generation of Jews, uh, all the little official groups they formed, the Anti-Defamation League and everything, have all done nothing for American Jewry. And as we see now, we have the, as I said yesterday, the, this, is this is straight who whom Leninist stuff. You know, who's, who, who is, uh, you, once you identify the who and the whom, that's all there is. So where there is the Jew, there must also be the Jew's victim. That is the logic of identity politics, which will absolutely uh, destroy uh, everything. Norman Fenton. Uh, Norman Fenton, you will know him from his Twitter feed. He's had a tougher time of it, as usual. V Veronica from Auckland made the excellent point. Veronica's not on board with all the Lindsey Graham boots on the ground, war on Iran stuff. And uh, I was saddened to see she's thinking of leaving the Mark Stein Club. Uh, because uh, she thinks uh, there's too much blood in the nostrils of our commenters. And it's true, a lot of them are, bu are, are, are excessively butch. For a start, it's all bollocks. There's not going to be all this, oh, we need to nuke Gaza. Whether or not we need to nuke Gaza, it's not going to happen. 
America has had nukes uh, for longer than anybody else. It's doubtful if any of them would still work these days. And certainly I wouldn't actually trust them <laughs> to fire them at the right. Even, even if there were people I wanted nuked, I'm not sure. Given the way nothing else in the U.S. If you look at the readiness of U.S. Navy ships or whatever. So, but the, the fact of the matter is the butch, the butch talk is butch talk. Whereas we fight wars like traffic uh, guards, you know, or whatever they call them, school schoolyard crossing guards. That's how we. That's how we fight wars. You can't. Uh, you can't shell a building in Afghanistan unless everybody in that building is on your named list of people that you're allowed to shell. You can't win wars that way. So the idea that oh, you know, we just need to, and Israel is in exactly the same position, which is why it has to do it the hard way, sending ground troops in uh, to root uh, these weasels out of their little tunnels and everything. You know, so so the butch talk doesn't really get us anywhere because whoever we were when we nuked Nagasaki, uh, we aren't now. And, uh, and we don't do those kind of things. And we don't wage war with any strategic clarity or with will. So I certainly hope you don't leave the club over all the uh, saber-rattling, uh, Veronica, because we, we're not a saber-rattling culture, alas. But but um, Veronica made the excellent... And the reason I wanted to stay is because she makes very good points. Uh, like she said that COVID had held the whole coalition on the right together, the opposition to COVID, and that since COVID's gone off the boil... Uh, we're all sort of degenerating back into our sects of neocons and whatever. Um, and Norman Fenton certainly realised that uh, because he was loved by the anti-lockdown crowd and the anti-vaccine crowd and all the rest of it. And then as soon as the uh, October the 7th happened and uh, he, they realised that Norman was a Jew, they all were suddenly opposed to him. Um, and it's tough. It's tough. It's tough realizing that uh, it's, you know, it's tough for both parties because it's tough for Norman to realize that no matter how much good sense he talked on COVID and vaccines, uh, in the end, to all his former colleagues, he's just a Jew. And it's tough for all his former colleagues to realize that this guy who was talking so much sense about all the stuff they cared about turns out to be a, oh my God, he's a Jew. So it's a terrible thing, terrible thing for both parties. Uh, and Norman, uh, Norman's actually written a terrific essay, uh, which he's, you can find very easily. He's talking about his grandfather born in Jerusalem at a time when we live in a, an incredibly stupid age and people don't think Jews were born in Jerusalem because they think they all arrived in Palestine uh, in the course of the 20th century. But anyway, Norman's written a great column on that and you should read it. Uh, Norman continues, it's great to know that at one of the darkest times in Jewish history, there are still some people with genuine integrity who understand the injustice of this situation in which the people who suffered the most barbaric terrorist attack. Nobody remembers that, Norman. It was October the 7th. Yeah, they, uh, they beheaded some babies, but that's old news. Nobody cares. Um, Norman says uh, 
the people who suffered the most barbaric terrorist attack and whose very existence is now threatened on multiple fronts get cast as the villains. Yeah, again, it's, you know, Palestine will be free from the river to the sea. The chant you can hear on the streets of every major Western city. The, the, uh, the, uh, that's an explicit pledge of genocide. And yet the only Nazis around are now the Israelis. Uh, and Norman adds, all while we have to observe the alliance of Muslims and progressives everywhere supporting the terrorists and demanding our destruction. But I've noticed, I won't mention any names, <laughs> that some of your frequent guests have been either ambivalent about the situation, taken the moral equivalence route, or in one case simply swallowed the Hamas propaganda. How do you feel about that? It seems at least disrespectful to you. Uh, actually, <laughs> they're also fairly friendly with you, Norman. You had by far the best photographs out of the Mark Stein cruise uh, in, in, in which you were with uh, some very fetching ladies in almost every, every shot. Um, the disrespect to me is the least of it and uh, likewise disrespect to you as i said i think this is in some cases it's a in 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 the in some cases it's the generational thing people under uh people under 50 or whatever wherever you want to put it the the holocaust doesn't have uh, it, it it doesn't it it doesn't have a purchase on them and that's because uh, we're a long way removed now from people who uh, had Holocaust survivors in their neighborhoods and and all the rest of it. And so, as I said, they don't frame it through that lens. They frame it through this identity politics lens where, um, uh, you know, uh, as I said in that column almost 20 years ago, uh, Jews were never accepted as white men when they, when they were in Europe. The minute uh, they, they're forced out of Europe and into the Middle East, they're suddenly, you know, the acme of white men and of white privilege. That's just where the, you know, identity politics is a moronizing thing. And, and that gets that. I'd also say, um, you know, you're when you're talking, I'm not sure who you're referring to, but I've seen a couple of tweets that have crossed the transom. And I think that uh, I think that in in some cases they don't see the whole point. You know, one of the raps against the Jews is that Jews control the media. So that, for example, if Jews uh, were somehow to get the uh, the pro Hamas march banned. Uh, a small number of people would think, oh, that's good. We, we don't have people on the streets who support people who chop the heads off babies. But a whole bunch of other people would see it simply as evidence of how Jews control the media and thus get their way. And I would say beyond that, there's just a... This isn't really in defense. I think it's a statement of fact that the world is unraveling you know, there are hundreds of thousands dead in Ukraine for no other reason than that 
for some reason, there are people in Washington, plus Boris Johnson and one or two others, who want to keep it all going. And and these people think that uh, that think that, as I said earlier, America can't win any wars. So why you would want to encourage a new one is weird because if if you've got any American help, uh, you're probably doomed to uh, lose anyway. I mean, one of the reasons why October the seventh happened was not just a failure of Israeli intelligence, but a failure of American intelligence based in Qatar, which is also where Hamas are based. So they're a bit like that story I was talking about with the um, jihadist from the Paris Bataclan attacks, living in Brussels openly in plain sight of police headquarters across the street. And me saying I didn't believe that the Brussels authorities could not have known. I don't really believe, as I think about it, that the U.S. authorities could not have known, given that they're neighbors of the Hamas guys in Qatar, what's going on. So I think there's, you know, I'm not, you know, I understand where you're going with this. I don't think, you know, I don't think we're, I think there's two things going on. One, there is a generational shift which is going to make it hugely difficult for Jews in the years to come. That is that is a fact. The people under that's one of the reasons I was sentimental enough to pick Cinderella Rockefeller as my song of the week because it was strange to me thinking how back in the 60s to the young people Israel was cool. There were non-Jews who went and hung out on kibbutz kibbutzes because they thought it was the way of the future, and it isn't that way now among among the the young, and that is uh, that is distressing to me. I don't think, I certainly don't want to think, that friends of mine are making common cause with barbarians, because uh, as I always say, your self interest should lead you not to do that. And, you know, that is the real thing here that when and what I got into when I talking with this French demographer about the point de bascule, the tipping point, that that at a, you have inflicted so much damage on your own society that basically now the barbarians, it's not the barbarian invasions anymore. They're recruiting from the native populations. Uh, which is which is a creepy way to think about all that. Rebecca Enkin. Rebecca's actually a lovely singer in Toronto, and uh, and uh, did a, did a couple of videos that cheered me up no end during lockdown. Uh, what was it? Was it when I take my sugar to tea? Oh, is it the one I always, when, uh, yeah, I think it was when I take my sugar. I always confuse that with another sugary song. Anyway, Rebecca says, hi, Mark. So sorry to hear about your cancelled trial and all the massive headaches as a result. As a Catholic, 
I am furious and devastated by the lack of moral courage on the part of the church. Uh, Tell me about it. I'm an Anglican. Uh, They have not picked a side on the attack on Israel and instead have us praying for peace in Ukraine, Palestine, and Israel. I can't take it and have stopped attending Mass in revolt. So many people around are stuck on this, unable to know evil when it spits in their eye and the leaders we need to stick our heads back on straight. Uh, are nowhere to be found. You know, we still have, I think it's actually that wanker I mentioned, uh, Bernie Farber, when they talk about um, sainthood for Pope Pius, and he's saying, oh, no, we can't have Pope Pius being made a saint. I don't know what it is to him. He's a Jew, not a Catholic, uh, until we've had the full release of all the Vatican papers of what he did during the Second World War. So the pusillanimousness of the church, uh, as he sees it, uh, 80 and 90 years ago is more important to him than the silence of the church right now, you know. It's a, it's a Laura Rosen Cohen point that you know, oh yeah, we all agree the Holocaust is bad, and we uh, we feel so sorry for all these dead Jews. But actually, what's happening uh, to uh, Jews now is of zero interest uh, to us. Very very interesting that Veronica. Oh, uh, I'm going a bit long. <laughs> uh, but I mentioned I'd be very sorry if Veronica. Uh, were to leave the ranks of the Mark Stein Club. Veronica says, Morning, Mark, because it is. It's Thursday, quite probably quite late. It's probably Thursday afternoon now uh, in uh, Veronica's corner of New Zealand. Uh, Veronica says, Why have Tommy Robinson and Katie Hopkins suddenly been unbanned on Twitter? Don't get me wrong, I'm not against them, but the timing is interesting to say the least. We're told that a huge contingent of Hamas fans are planning to march on London this weekend. The pro-Israel Tory government and lobby needs a response for that and a scapegoat if things go bad and don't look back in Anger no longer suffices. Don't look back in anger was the drippy song they all sang after the Ariana Grande concert massacre in Manchester. Um, because uh, Imagine has become too much of a laughing stock, so they sing this one that's even worse. Uh, and so the counter jihad, says Veronica, is being unleashed in the form of Tommy R and his supporters. I sense a trap for new players here, or have I been reading too much of the dissident right on Twitter? What say you? <laughs> P.S. Have you ever listened to Don't Look Back in Anger? And if so, what the hell is it about? Imagine was more straightforward. Let's bring it back. Yeah, that awful, tiresome twit, whatever he was, a Belgian or whatever, who used to wheel his piano to the site of jihadist atrocities and play Imagine so everyone could sing along. Where is he when you really need him? Um, I don't... I I stick with what I said um, about, you know, my own experience in the... Uh, battles with the Human Rights Commission, that it's the guy, you know, the one thing um, uh, that uh, that they got wrong in the Emperor's new, Hans Christian Andersen got wrong in the Emperor's new clothes, is that the little boy pointing out that the Emperor had no clothes, he wouldn't have been uh, turned the crowd and uh, the Emperor been revealed as a laughingstock. 
Uh, instead, they, the crowd would all have turned on him and beaten him to a pulp and said, that's disinformation and you're not allowed to say that. That's what Hans Christian Andersen got wrong in the emperor's new clothes. And I think that's the reason, because they always want the guy who points out the reality before your eyes. And as I said, that was me vis-a-vis -vis the big shot imam in those Canadian cases. It's true of Hit Wilders. It's uh, true of Tommy Robinson, who will never be forgiven for pointing out that in England, uh, the state stands by as its most vulnerable young girls are uh, conscripted as sex slaves by Muslim gangs. So the problem is not the Muslim gangs raping and urinating on these little girls and uh, dousing them in petrol and dancing around them with matches. That's not the problem. The problem is the guy who points, the problem is the guy who sees it and points it out as Tommy Robinson does. And so the timing is interesting, but you know the crap wanker coppers of the god-awful Metropolitan Police. You know, if there's people calling for death to the Jews marching down Piccadilly, or there's Tommy Robinson tweeting that uh, some of these Muslim guys are calling for death to the Jews, and the Metropolitan Police have to send out a few coppers. They won't be sending the coppers out to the guys shouting death to the Jews. They'll be sending them round to Tommy's, and he'll be in a whole heap of trouble again. This is weird. You know, it's an existential crisis now. When I started writing about this 20 years ago, uh, I spoke about the thesis of America Alone at an event in New York, and Douglas Murray, who was just out of Oxford then, he was, I don't know what he was, he was 22 or something. He, uh, he, 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 he was all nice and cute and baby-faced, and he listened to what I had to say, and he said, well, these are still early days. We've got a chance to turn this around. Not anymore. It's an existential threat. Uh, have, sharing your country with barbarians with a healthy fertility rate when the non-barbarians have a non-healthy fertility rate, that's as uh, basically obvious as it gets of where you're going to end up. Steve from Manhattan says, on a lighter note, oh, what are you on about? It's been a barrel of laughs today, Steve. You wrote about Julie London's rendition of the Doors song, Light My Fire, that, quote, you could be rubbing sticks together all night and never get anywhere near to lighting her fire. If I were to order a second personally autographed Mark Stein Liberty Stick, do you think with two Liberty Sticks going for me, I could get closer to generating a spark? You know, I once had to call up uh, Bobby Troop, who was Julie's husband, uh, Bobby Troop, he, he wrote um, Route 66, which is obviously a monster hit for him because everybody's uh, done that. And uh, a song I've always loved, You're Looking at Me. I love that, love that song and, in fact, sang it a few years ago. Um, but I once had to call up Bobby Troop and <laughs> Julie London answered the phone. And I didn't quite twig at first because I was thinking maybe this is his secretary or it's the houseman. And then I thought, oh, my God. I realized from her voice, that's Julie London. And I love her records, but uh, my late producer, Brian Savin, who died just a few weeks ago, Brian 
uh, always blew hot and cold on Julie London because, uh, as he said, there's a very fine line between sultry. And one, one of my first programme directors in radio uh, said, we want you to do this show in the evening where you play bearskin rug music. And I was 18, and I said, uh, well, what do you mean by that? <laughs> and he handed me a Julie London album. Julie is her name. And I put the album on, and I thought... Oh yeah, now I get it. But Brian always used to think there was a, a uh, there was a very fine line between cool and sultry, and uh, just being totally boring. <laughs> and he didn't feel that Julie always stayed the right uh, side of that, although she certainly does. If you want to compare her to anybody who's around now, so <laughs> you're not going to get near any chick. Uh, walking walking into a singles bar with two liberty sticks, you're going to be tased into submission. That isn't going to work uh, for you, Steve. <laughs> so I'm sorry about that. We were playing uh, Hitler songs a little earlier to mark the centenary today of his beer hall putsch in 1923. But I don't want to play another Hitler song. So I thought I'd play a beer hall song uh, because I could use a drink and also because on uh, present demographic trends, uh, there will not be beer halls in Germany a few decades hence. That's a simple reality. Uh, Oktoberfest in a, an Islamized Germany is going to be pretty much uh, as big a bore as Oktoberfest in Riyadh. Uh, this song, so drinking song, drinking song, this song was written a year after the Nazis attempted coup in 1924 for the blockbuster operetta The Student Prince set in Heidelberg, not too far from the French border. Uh, I was in Heidelberg a couple of years ago and I regret to say it is not at all these days like it is in the operetta. Uh, for the reasons you might expect. Um, but the song endures after 99 years. Eins, zwei, drei, wir, lift your stein and... No, no, put me down! It's not that kind of stein. Eins, zwei, drei, wir, lift your stein and drink your beer. Eins, zwei, drei, wir, lift your stein and drink your beer. Drink, drink, drink. See those 
song from the student prince music by sigmund romberg lyrics by dorothy donnelly it is a melancholy reflection on our time that if you're oh uh, under 40 you may know that best from a tv commercial for water aquafina bottled water Sad. Eins, zwei, drei, vier, lift your stein and throw him out of here. But not before a little bit more from that fabulous score for the student press. Time to go time. Stick with Stein Online. Laura's links coming up tomorrow. Laura Rosen-Cohen rounds up the internet as nobody else can. And don't leave it too late to snaffle up one of our limited edition Stein Online Liberty Sticks. They're going fast, and when they're gone, that's it. Stay safe, stay free, stay well, and if you can, stay out of the clutches of the dirty, stinking, rotten, corrupt U.S. quote justice system.
Clubland Q&A is a production of Markstein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights reserved. <laughs>